sharing our faith and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ with others is a desire of Zion Christian Fellowship. Our prayer is that this message will have a lasting impact on your life and draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is not copyrighted. You are free to make copies for friends and neighbors. We only ask that you copy it in its entirety without alterations or changes. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, good morning to each one this morning. Welcome to the house of God here. <clears throat> Why don't we start with a word of prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning here. We want to thank you for your presence. Here in this place, as we sing your praises, we know that you are here. We just want to commit ourselves to you here as we open your word. Pray that you would speak to each of us, speak to my heart as I share. Pray you'd help me to say the things you want me to say. We just pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, to start with this morning, I would like to start with reading in Psalm 96. If you all want to turn there. Psalm 96. O sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord. Bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice. Before the Lord, for he cometh. For he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. So as I was thinking of the opening I had coming up, and my mind went to this psalm, and specifically the verse, I believe it is verse 9, O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And... I was just considering that, and I know it's a phrase we often say, and we have numerous songs we even sing about it, um, but I just thought it would be good to maybe look at that a little bit this morning, on what is the beauty of holiness that it talks about there. Um, back in verse 6, it talks about strength and beauty are in his sanctuary, and I think it sort of ties in there with the beauty that is in God's sanctuary and the beauty of holiness. So I just have a couple 
questions we want to look at. What is the beauty of holiness? Why is it beautiful? And then, is holiness beautiful to me? And that's probably what I'll spend most of my time on, that last one. Um, In fact, in answering the last one, it might sort of answer the first two anyway. But beauty is sort of in the eye of the beholder, as it's often said. And we spend a lot of time pursuing beauty. We'll drive halfway across the country just to look at something beautiful, like a mountain or a lake or whatever scenic thing we want to go see, a landmark. Um, And we spend hours, you know, in our gardens, in our yards, tending our flower beds, sorting out things that are ugly, trying to make it more beautiful. And we spend countless hours doing that sometimes. We, um, we paint and decorate, we clean and polish, we craft and build, all to try to make this world more beautiful. We sweat and toil, we sacrifice time and money to make or even just sometimes to even just get a chance to see something beautiful. And... You know, we even practice doing skills or, um, you know, like singing or playing a musical instrument. We might practice for hours to try to make it more beautiful, to try to make something nicer. And when we do find something that's beautiful, we display it, we frame it, we promote it, we admire it. And then on the flip side of that, when there's things that are ugly, we stick them out behind the garage, we throw them in trash cans, we burn it, we try to cover it up, hide it, and obscure things that are things that are ugly, the garbage, failed projects, unsightly things, we just try to get, get out of sight and out of mind. And just thinking about how, diligent with, how diligently we pursue the beauty in the world around us and things we make that are beautiful and whatever, as it relates to holiness, are we pursuing holiness with that same diligence, is holiness beautiful to us that we drive halfway across the country to see it or that we spend countless hours trying to make it more beautiful to us? Um, <clears throat> I looked up the definition of the word holy and is much different in today's modern dictionary than it was back years ago. And I found it interesting, in 1828 dictionary, they actually quoted a Bible verse in the dictionary definition of holy. But the definition it gives back in Webster's 1828 dictionary says, um, properly whole, entire, or perfect, in a moral sense. Hence, pure in heart, temper, or dispositions, free from sin and sinful affections. Applied to the supreme being, holy signifies perfectly pure, immaculate, and complete in moral character. A man is more or less holy as his heart is more or less sanctified or purified from evil dispositions. We call a man holy when his heart is conformed in some degree to the image of God, and his life is regulated by the divine precepts. Hence, Holy is used nearly synonymous with good, pious, godly. And then it gives a reference for 1 Peter 1, where it says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. (coughs) 
So I thought it was interesting. It talks about the a man is more or less holy as his heart is more or less sanctified. And just thinking about how as we how I talked about with trying to make things beautiful, sometimes if it comes to um, you know, tending a flower bed, for example, we pull out and throw away the things that are less beautiful to make more room for things that are beautiful. And I think that is a very good um, analogy for our own Christian life is we pursue beauty in holiness and we pursue holiness that there's some things that have to be thrown out so that there's more room for things that are beautiful. The first time we find the word holy in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 3 where Moses is in front of the burning bush and he walks up to the bush and God tells him that the ground he's standing on is holy. And I know there's nothing that special about ground. It just struck me as I was reading over that how God can take something very ordinary such as dirt and ground and he can set it apart as something that is holy. And even in the sense of Moses there, at that point in his time, it doesn't seem like he did anything that amazing. He even said that, you know, he's not eloquent, he's not a gifted speaker, he doesn't feel like he's qualified. But yet God took, you know, seemingly an ordinary man and set him apart for a special purpose or for a special, um, a special service. So God can take ordinary things and set them apart to be holy. In the same way, God took the the children of Israel and he set them apart to be holy. Um, God was telling Moses to... Um, to tell the children of Israel about how all that he did to the Egyptians and he brought them out on eagles' wings. And, and then he said this, If you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then shall ye be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. You shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak to the children of Israel. And that thought there of a holy nation like God had set them apart to be a beautiful people and a holy nation. And throughout all of history, he has been treating Israel in that way as a set-apart people because God has a special place in his heart for the children of Israel. I'd like to look now at a couple um, examples of holiness as we see it in Scripture just to set a little bit of a definition of, or a little bit of a, not a definition, but maybe a word picture in our mind of what holiness looks like. Back in the Old Testament, is very much in a physical sense, the way they viewed holiness. And there was, let me able to just read it here, when the people came to Mount Sinai, the Lord said unto Moses, this is in Exodus 19, He says, go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. 
For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye are not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall surely be put to death. And anyway, it's a very physical thing where for them to be preparing to even to meet with God or to see God's holiness, they were to have their clothes washed and there were things they weren't supposed to touch and places they weren't supposed to go. And then after God came and gave them the Ten Commandments and all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and they heard the noise of the trumpet and they saw the mountain smoking and all the people, says they removed and stood afar off and they're... um, what they said then is, let not God speak to us, lest we die. And just thinking about when the holiness of God came and they saw at least somewhat of a glimpse of it, and not even in the same way that Moses did, how it was a fearful thing to them. And I'm just trying to imagine what that would have been like to be there in the presence of God, where you know that... Um, God physically was on a mountain and they saw the mountain smoking and all that. Um, later on then when they were building the tabernacle and they had all the different um, instructions on how to build it and lots of beauty went into that tabernacle and it, was, it had a holy place and then there was the most holy place and I think all of it was, in one sense, to make the, to make holiness and sanctification and all of that a beautiful thing to the children of Israel. And they had many physical duties and washings and ceremonies and things they had to do, and everything had to be perfect and without blemish to make it as beautiful as possible. And they had garments that the priests wore. And when God told um, Moses to make these garments, he said, Thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother, for glory and for beauty. And I think, yeah, beauty and holiness tie in very closely related to each other when they're referring to God and his glory in his kingdom and it talks about these garments and one of the things they put on them they had a um, a plate of pure gold that they would engrave on it holiness to the lord and the priests would wear this as they walk around every everywhere they're walking around holiness to the lord and if you look over the descriptions of their their garments and even the tabernacle building that they were working in, everything about it was beautiful. And just the thinking of an overarching um, theme to everything they did and said and whatever, holiness to the Lord. And that was printed like front page headlines on their garment. Actually, I believe they wore it on their forehead, it says to be upon Aaron's forehead. Anyway, and just thinking of that in our lives, is that how we 
Is that how people see us? Like, yeah, we don't have to physically print that on our foreheads anymore, but do people look at us and can they see from what we do and what we say and the things we're working in that we are about holiness? Holiness to the Lord. Is that an overarching theme in our life? There's several times there in it referring to Aaron's garments that it says that they're supposed to be made for glory and for beauty. So I think God is very concerned about beauty and in that holiness is a part of that as we think of things that are holy and things that are pure and clean is the, the definition um, Perfectly pure, immaculate, and complete in moral character. And there's something about that that just is attractive. It is beautiful when you think of something that is that way. And I think that answers some of the question about what is the beauty of holiness. It's that um, that, that is perfectly pure, immaculate, and complete in moral character. And that is... What it is, that is why it's beautiful because all of those um, qualities are pleasant to be around. And I mean, I don't know if you've ever met someone that is um, immaculate and perfect in every sense of the word. Later on, in Joshua, referring to the, or this is still with the children of Israel. Um, Joshua had a um, a question or a challenge to the children of Israel and his question was or his, his challenge was for them to choose who they will serve it says choose you this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And and they said that, you know, their answer was, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord. And Joshua had sort of an interesting answer. Like, he asked them who they want to serve, and they're like, well, we're going to serve the Lord. And then Joshua's answer was... Um, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God. And I don't know, is that just because he knew they were not walking rightly with God? Is that why he said that? I don't know. He says, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. And then the people said, nay, but we will serve the Lord. And just again, the um, glimpse of God's holiness and even the thought that Presumably they had some um, sin in their life or whatever is why Joshua said they cannot serve uh, the Lord. And and then just that phrase that he is a holy God. And that is again that same holy that makes it beautiful, that is um, beautiful to look at even. And here in this case the children of Israel had a 
um, seemingly a change of heart that they said they will serve the Lord. In Psalm, David often spoke of holiness and even sometimes beauty too, as in the one psalm we read. There's another psalm, um, I believe it's Psalm 15. I might just read a verse there real quick. Psalm 15, it says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. So in both this and the previous passage we looked at there with Joshua, it seems like it talks about um, walking uprightly, working righteousness. Like there's some things that just cannot dwell in the presence of holiness. And that is, you know, the same way, like, um, there's a certain amount of um, intolerance for unholy things that has to be there for it to be holy. Just like you can't have copious weeds in a flower bed and still call it a pretty flower bed. And in this case, it takes walking uprightly to be holy as it says in Psalm 15. In Psalm 24, it says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath a clean hands and a pure heart, with not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. And then in the psalm we read, where it talks about worshiping the Lord and the beauty of holiness. <clears throat> I think in each of these, we get the picture of a um, a holiness that comes from a pure heart, from clean hands, from no iniquity, from both pulling out all that which is evil and discarding it and inserting all that that is pure. Pure, immaculate, and complete. Later on in Isaiah, Isaiah had a vision of heaven. At least I assume it is heaven because it said he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. I might just read some of the first few verses there in Isaiah chapter 6. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and above it stood the seraphims, Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. And just thinking about Isaiah's vision there, it seems the first thing that he became aware of is his own uncleanness, his own undoneness. 
And that is very true when we see the true beauty of holiness, when we see the pureness of it. The first thing that should come to each of our minds is where we fall short or where we, um, where we are lacking that. Just like Isaiah, when he saw that the beautiful display of God's glory, and it's probably very difficult for him to write down in words the beauty of the picture that he saw, but talks about this um, beautiful temple, high and lifted up. There's the seraphims, and just describing a very beautiful scene there in heaven and how the the post of the door moved and the house is filled with smoke and somehow in seeing that it caused a, a desire in his own life for more holiness. And I think as we, as we look at holiness and as we want to, um, as we want to be more holy ourselves, it helps if we look at God's holiness and at His pureness and at His, um, at His very being that is holy and and how it, as we gaze more and more at that, it can help us to fashion our lives after that. And then even in the New Testament, um, speaking of the church. It talks about in Ephesians how the whole building is fitly framed together, being an holy temple in the Lord. Um, and later on it says that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that should be holy without blemish. And in Peter it talks about um, as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And just thinking of all of that, um, also the church being like a temple in reference to the temple back in um, the Old Testament, where it was a holy thing, it was sanctified, and there was many physical um, ceremonies that went into making it pure and holy. And in the same way, there's things that we can do to make our temple more pure and holy. And it refers to both the church as being that temple and also the um, us as individuals, where it says, ye are the temple of the living God. <clears throat> in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And just in all of these examples that I gave throughout the Bible of holiness, one thing that is that comes up over and again is about the effort that it takes in like as this last one I read in Second Corinthians, coming out from among them, being separate, touching not the unclean thing. Um, 
basically even physical actions that they had to take um, and that we need to take to be to be holy and to attain to that um, that perfect purity, immaculate and complete moral character. And in almost all of these, there's things to sacrifice, things to strive for. I don't think the the temple back in the Old Testament didn't become beautiful and holy just by someone hoping that someday it would. It took a lot of sweat and a lot of toil and labor and tending to the details and making it nice and beautiful. And in the same way, as we think of ourselves as being the temple of God, we're not going to become holy just automatically or by default. It's going to take tending to and cleaning and decorating and framing and arranging and crafting and polishing and sweat and toil sometimes to not lift us up by our own bootstraps, but to do whatever it takes to make holiness beautiful to us, to make so that it, so that um, it's something that we strive for, something that is a priority in our life even. Sometimes in the natural, you know, you can see, you know, an immaculate yard, you can see, oh, well, that's something that is apparently beautiful to them because they spend a lot of time doing it, or flower beds, or a vehicle, or a house. You can kind of sometimes see people's priorities and what they think is worth spending time to make beautiful. And in the same way, I think people should be able to see that in our Christian life, that holiness is something that that I pursue or that you pursue, that each of us pursues to make beautiful. The others looking on can even see that beauty the beauty of holiness is something that must be valuable to that person because they sure are pursuing it. They're doing all they can to make Holiness, beautiful. So that's about where I ran out of time in my studying, so I feel like I didn't have enough time to draw a perfect conclusion to everything, but I hope that that can encourage all of us to to seek the beauty of holiness. As it said there in Psalm, to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And just back to those questions at the beginning is holiness beautiful to me is it something that we spend a lot of time pursuing anyway that's all i have to share this morning